You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out and the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How are you guys doing? Yeah, doing really good. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for coming on here. Uh, we are going to talk about the Middle Fork of the Salmon River today and uh, and probably some West Slope cutthroat fishing and talk about what you do. Uh, Nick has been on here a number of times. I think a lot of people that are listening now probably already know Nick from Lampson. Uh, he's got, you know, a bunch of great stuff going, great products. So we're going to talk about some of that stuff, Nick, today. But I want to start with Colin here because, Colin, you're with Hughes River at HughesRiver.com. And you guys run these operations on the Mill Fork of the Salmon. Uh, the, I guess it's the River of No Return, right? Well, what's the wilderness area? The largest wilderness in the lower 48, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the Frank Church Wilderness. And it is all kind of wrapped into the River of No Return. Uh, technically, another section that we run is is really famous as the River of No Return, the, the main salmon, uh, but it all falls under the same wilderness. And uh, yeah, the Middle Fork is, is uh, you know, probably getting up there on one of the most famous rivers in the world now. So it really is an incredible place. And, you know, when the, when the cutthroat are, are getting aggressive, it is just an absolutely unbelievable place to go fly fish. Nice. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Colin, it's been a while for me, but I've been on the Middle Fork. I was lucky enough to do a trip with some friends that put in for the the, the permit, and we got it. And we floated. It was just amazing. I mean, just the, the hot springs, the fishing, the canyon, it was just unbelievable. So I want to try to paint that picture for people listening now that don't know about this area. Um, so maybe start us off there. Like, where do you, when somebody asks you about the Middle Fork, if they don't know about it, what, what do you tell them? How do you describe this amazing place? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard place to to describe to people, but realistically, it's when you really break it down, it is one of the last truly pristine rivers that runs through the largest contiguous wilderness in the lower 48. So, you know, when you drop 3000 feet over 100 miles, you go through multiple ecosystems, you see a lot of different spring action, whether it be hot or or cold springs. A lot of our trips were drinking just water straight out of the ground. That was literally one of my favorite things on the whole trip was just, yeah, <laughs> sticking my face in the water that's shooting out of the side of the mountain and getting a good yeah. drink. <laughs> oh, wow. And I don't know what it is, but I swear to God, it tastes better. <laughs> oh, it's the best tasting water on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> it is fantastic. And, and, uh, and yeah, so, you know, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that's, it's really neat to work your way from kind of subalpine through the the high elevation desert and then into these staggering granite canyon lands the final 20 miles you know, rivals any canyon in the world i think and definitely in the country and so you really get almost three river trips out of the whole thing and then on top of that uh the hiking activity the fly fishing there really is just kind of an endless amount of things to do out there a lot of people that get a hold of me are concerned about a six-day trip you know the length of it and it's just a absolutely common theme that when they get back to Stanley at the end of the trip, they, they wish that it was 10 or 12 days. Yeah. I went too fast for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And Nick, so you were there on this trip and let me just give a shout out at the start, just, you know, so people know we're doing, you're doing a giveaway here. So you're giving away two spots to go on this trip. So that's part of what we're doing here is uh, helping let people know about that. So um, we'll send everybody out to wetflyswing.com slash giveaway if they want to get a chance to uh, enter to win this. But what was it like for you, Nick? Because you've been on that trip. Maybe how do you describe it from your end? How, you know, that that trip overall. I mean, it's it's a trip of a lifetime. I, I guess that's, you know, it's kind of a cliche nowadays, but it really is. And you mentioned, 
you know, the permit aspect of that river. The reason it's such a pristine wilderness is is because it's really limited on on human traffic, right? And so it's not like anybody can just go float that river. You have to put in for a lottery uh, if you want to float it on your own. And I know people have been putting in for years on that and, you know, never been able to draw. Um, and so I had an opportunity to go with an outfitter like Hughes Outfitters, just like such professional operation. It was just really special. And and like Colin said, it really is like three trips in one. You know, the the changing ecosystems every day, it's it's a different backdrop, right? The fishing, the hot springs, the hiking, you got, you know, petroglyphs and just so much cool stuff on that float. Right. Uh, when I did, I remember the fishing was the, the thing that really, well, everything sticks out, but I remember I had a friend who was on the trip who was like a beginner fly fisherman and he was on my raft and we kind of did a, our own trip, you know, we got the permit and he was catching fish left and right. Is, is that kind of how it is on there? For, is that the West Slope cutthroat thing? It really is. You know, it's, it's a very forgiving river. Um, you know, we're throwing hoppers the whole time, you know, it was a late season float. So we were able to do that, but you know, you don't have to be an expert angler to be successful on this river, you know, spend a half hour doing a little practice casting before the trip. And the guides that are along, you know, they're really helpful as far as being able to put you on the fish and, you know, giving you tips on your cast, et cetera, uh, if you're just starting out. But there's so many fish in that river that nobody's yeah. going to end the day, you know, fishless on that trip. No, it's really true. You know, I mean, we get a lot of people that come, you know, just kind of hoping to, to get their first feel of a fly rod. And, you know, six days in, they've landed 30 or 40 fish they they just started their journey into fly fishing and it is a great place to get that start because those are aggressive cutthroat that don't see a ton of people yeah right that, that, that's it's just so remote and one of the other things i remember about the trip and this kind of got me a little puckered up was the whitewater i remember because i'm i love whitewater but i'm not like the super technical but i was kind of running I think I might've been following somebody, but still it was like my first time rowing a boat on this river. Talk about that because isn't there one called, uh, I mean, there's some major rapids in that. Is that something that people can get excited for? Yeah, there's some serious rapids on that trip. Colin, you probably know them all by heart by now, I'm sure, but there was definitely a few that, that had me puckering <laughs> up a little yeah. bit on that trip, but didn't take a swim. So that was good. Yeah. Well, what is it like called from your head? Do you, would you go down the river? Or are you just kind of like, this is a you know, another day at the office or are there times where you're thinking, man, that rapid's kind of crazy depending on river levels? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I've run the middle fork around 125 times. And so at this point it's, it's, uh, you'd really think that it would just completely be second nature and and it truly is. But the, the biggest difference is that it is not, you know, it is, it is not stagnant out there. It's very fluid. We get new rocks, we get new wood. We get all kinds of stuff in there every year. And, uh, you know, it's always exciting. I love the whitewater component, you know, in my experience with, uh, fly fishing, that's not always the case with, with anglers. They, they don't love having to row their boats through whitewater to get to water. Um, you know, for us, that's a huge part of it. I absolutely love the whitewater and the middle fork has some spectacular whitewater, which is such a cool component. Yeah. And what, what is one of the big rap, they, what, like the named, what's one name of a big one? Yeah. So really the, the, the whole thing is pretty big, which on a fly fishing trip, like Nick said, you're normally going to be coming in late season. So, you know, the first day is kind of a build up day. And then after that you run, you run quite a bit, but the Tappan series is really fun. Tappan Falls are a really famous rapid. And then, you know, you run th through Impassable Canyon, it's, you know, on and off class three, four whitewater for 20 miles. And that whole section through there is, is really fun, you know, from Vail Falls, which is just a beautiful side hike right at the beginning of the steep part of the canyon. From there, really to the mouth of the main salmon, you're running in and out of fantastic whitewater. Yeah, right. Gosh, that's, uh, yeah, Tappan Falls, I remember that name on that, on that, uh, rapid as well. What, what is, so when you guys get in there, let's, let's talk about the trip again. It seems like you drive forever in the middle of nowhere. You jump in at the put in, is it kind of the season wise timing? Talk about that. If somebody was putting this together, when should they be thinking about going and then talk about that first day on the water? Yeah, no, for sure. It, you know, it, it's fickle up there. Um, the, uh, top 25 miles of the river has 
a variety of reasons why we potentially have to fly and and not run it. So, you know, on average, there's probably five trips a year that we we can run the full 100 miles. And then seven or eight trips a year, we we fly into mile 25. And that's what we did, right, Colin? We flew into mile mile 25. Is that where we put in? Right, Nick. Yep. And really, most of our, our real fly fishing centric trips, we do that. And, and it's kind of for two reasons. You know, the, the fish get really aggressive later in the season and the days start getting shorter. So people don't want to book a longer than a six day trip. And you get down in there with the shorter days and low water and you're trying to make these huge miles, you don't have time to fish. So it's, it's nice, you know, and, and it's just kind of that first day, man. It's just, you're getting stuck all the time. It's more fun to fly in. And I almost would say, regardless of whether you end up driving in and doing the top 25 or flying in, I don't know which one's a cooler way to access the backcountry. Mm. <laughs> oh, I really like that plane ride. I mean, that was cool. Getting to see that backcountry from a little plane like that was, it was a unique experience for sure. Yeah, I, I just think it's amazing. I, I love those planes. <laughs> right. So you guys actually fly and take a small little uh, plane with a, there's a landing strip out there somewhere you drop in and how's that look? Yeah, that's right. So the landing strip we generally use is uh, is a forest service strip and uh, it's right at mile 25 on the river. The river's hundred miles long. So, you know, usually by that time, you know, we're shortening the trip down to 75 miles, but still doing six days. And it's a really nice strip. The forest service brings in horses with old farm equipment and make sure it's all straightened away uh, in the spring. And, and uh, they do a really nice job. And, and that's a plug I'll give on the Middle Fork in general. The, the Forest Service really manages that river well. That's awesome. Yeah, that's right. So, and that's part of the permit system is that where you go through the Forest Service to get your permit or put in for a permit if you're doing it on your own? Yeah. Yep. So we're, we're permitted on the Middle Fork through the, the Salmon Chalice National Forest. And, uh, you know, I work with a lot of agencies and, and uh, they've just been, you know, great folks to work with. Yeah. Okay. And, and so I think when we did it and again, this was a while ago, but yeah, I think we floated that first day, we floated the hundred miles, the whole thing. And I remember it was a bony, the first, whatever it was day, yeah, we were pinging around rocks left and right. So that's cool. You guys offer that, um, the trip in, what else should we know about this trip? It seems like, I mean, there's so much again, like we said at the start, but, um, as far as trying to paint the picture of what this is, you want to talk a little about the fishing? Do you guys want to talk a little more about those West slopes or anything else you want to shed light on? Yeah, no, for sure. The The West Slope fishing is is really fun. You know, we're, we kind of get a little glimpse of it in June with, uh, with a, you know, kind of year to year, but oftentimes amazing salmon fly hatch. And if you catch that right, middle to end June can be a really fun time to go up there and, and just kind of beat the banks with a salmon fly and a dropper. July, you know, every week it picks up more and more. Uh, that's kind of why by middle of August through September is our prime season. They just get so aggressive with the low water. And, uh, and we, we really, you know, it's, it's pretty much a dry fly fishery. They're so aggressive. People have so much fun, you know, coming from Colorado or Montana or a lot of these places where you're double nymphing all the time. You know, people just have a ton of fun fishing, a hopper, like you said, or a purple haze or something and, uh, and having these 30, 40 fish days, you know, and, and that being said, really for the guides, <laughs> we look pretty good because, you know, if, if things are sort of slow, you know, you just, you just drop something underneath the hopper and, and that's about <laughs> as complicated as we get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So it's, so the fishing isn't hard and there's bull trout. There's bull oh, trout. There's bull trout. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had uh, we had one of the guests. Um, she caught her first bull trout ever wow. on that trip. That was really cool. I know she was stoked, and then she caught another one the next day. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, there's a pretty nice population of them in there, and uh, you know that's another piece of the fishing is there's three or four really large tributaries that we routinely camp by or have lunch by, and you can walk up those tribs and and just absolutely smash fish as well. Um, just get your walk and wade fix in and. A lot of those tribs, I've seen bull trout take dry flies in there. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what is for the wet? I mean, the bull trout probably get a little bigger. These west slopes, what's an average size? These aren't like gigantic trout, right? What would be a good uh, average? And then what's a big uh, west slope cutty? Yeah. You know, you're, you're, uh, 
you're not getting into huge size all the time. You're, you're probably averaging like 12, 12 to 13 inches, but mm-hmm. your fish of the week's going to be a 16 inch fish. Sure. And you can get into them. And it, I kind of call it the, the fishbowl effect. You know, the, the bony sections, you're really excited about a 13 inch fish. And by the end of the trip, when you're fishing these bigger pools, that's when you can get into those, you know, 16, 17 inch fish on occasion. Gotcha. Right. Wow. So, so the fishing's good. You kind of have a little bit of everything. What, what is, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about gear as well, what you guys run there. Cause I know there's some drift boats right on that river. I think that's probably a different operation. What does that look like? Are there still, you guys run rafts. Maybe talk about your operation, how that looks, and then talk about the drift boats that are out there as well. Yeah, for sure. So there are a couple of companies that uh, do drift boats. It is a difficult river sometimes for drift boats, especially if the upper end's blocked because you can't fly those drift boats in. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's really cool. We, we have on occasion run a drift boat. My old man used to like to take a drift boat. Oh, he did. Oh, what, was it a wooden drift boat? Uh, yeah, we had a wooden drift boat and we had an aluminum drift boat. Okay. And uh, I still have the aluminum drift boat. I, and I've, I've run the middle fork once in a drift boat with my old man when I was like 16. What was that like? It was really fun. You know, I, I just, I had a blast. He, he gave me a pretty, uh, a pretty nice week to do it. You know, very medium flows. Oh, right. It it was kind of one of those things. Dad used to take a a spot from the trip once a year and and make sure that, you know, he and I got out there and we could fish each other. And so that, that was really fun. He started doing that when I was six or seven. That's honestly what got me into fly fishing the first time. That's awesome. I had fly fish before I grew up, you know, on, on a great little, stream in Cambridge, Idaho that we used to go out and dink around with a three, with a three weight on. But the first time I went down the middle fork and caught a hundred fish in a week, I was hooked. (laughs) God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, so we, we don't really, it's just, there's additional complications with, with trying to run drift boats down there. And so we, we pretty much just have switched to fully rafts and we've got 13 and a half foot high sides with custom kick on them and man you can put the brakes on those things they're awesome we've got uh some custom frames set up so they they absorb some gear which is you know crucial on a multi-day trip uh, but they also you know have the the stand lean bar in the front the swivel seat on the back you know they're kind of when you first look at them gonna look pretty much like your uh like your standard day trip fly fishing boat we've just built in some decking. So there's quite a bit of gear absorbed into it as well. Oh, nice. Right. So you got the best of both worlds. You got the, it's set up for fly fishing as you're floating, but then you can get some gear. And then you guys also have those, um, what are those giant, uh, boats with the oars in the front and the back called your gear boats? Yeah. The sweet boats. Yeah. Those sweet boats are awesome. (laughs) (laughs) They're so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Describe those. I've never seen a been on a river with the sweet boat before that trip. And I was just, it's just a massive, talk about that. Why do they, why the oars in the front and the back? Is that just because they're so, so big? Yeah. You know, it's in the sweet boat thing is really interesting. <laughs> it, it's kind of just the perfect river for it. I've thought about it on other rivers. Uh, you know, we run like the Selways, kind of a comparable size river to the middle fork. And it just wouldn't work. I don't think be, because of the gradient, you know, when you get into a lot of pool and drop and stuff, no, those boats have to have gradient. They don't have brakes and they need to keep moving. And so the real, the point of the, of the sweeps instead of oars really is just navigating through tight spots. And, you know, it's funny, you look at it and it looks so crazy and it looks just kind of horrifying. (laughs) And I learned how to run the sweep boat from my cousin when I was 18 and I was so scared and he, he just, he didn't, he didn't really do anything, but throw me on there and, and sit on the front deck and drink beer and not any <laughs> advice at all. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, it, it was, that was a great way to do it, you know, cause really, if you know how to read water pretty quickly, you know, when you get over the nerves, you figure out it is just a Cadillac. I mean, if you point that thing, it goes. And, uh, in some of the tougher whitewater sections on that particular river with that gradient, I would almost argue it might be the easiest boat on the river. It, it just, it, it's almost like it knows where to go. Granted, big boat, big wreck. When things go sideways, it's, it's you know, oh. a lot to deal with. Do you see some? Are there some wreck uh, dumps out there? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's just part of the game. Sometimes it happens and man, when, when a sweet boat's involved, you know, you, uh, you sit down and, and think about that for a little while. Oh man, <laughs> Jeez. that's, that's a, it, it's, it's tough, you know, but it, it's also not real common with the sweet boats, but it certainly can and, and will happen. Yeah. How common is it with, um, other boats out there on the, the rafts? Do you see lots of those upside down? Yeah, you know, on occasion, uh, especially in higher water, you know, the June, early June time frame. Yeah, people, people will, people will flip some boats. We, we don't, we don't flip boats very often. I think a lot of it is, you know, some people have a, a, a different level of tolerance for, you know, risk taking. We run pretty conservative, you know, we're going to run, we're going to run the, the line with the best odds every time, you know, where some people go out there and go, man. I'm going to run right down the gut of everything that looks big. And, and that's, it's fun. It is fun on a day trip when I don't have a bunch of stuff to lose, I'll do the same thing. But uh, yeah, the multi-day game, you know, we, we play it pretty conservative. It's still a lot of fun. Whitewater is tons of fun, even if you play it conservative. Yeah, definitely. Especially on that river. So, so good. So I think we paint this picture a little bit here to get us started. Um, so Nick, I want to hear about you. You, you obviously with lamps and, you guys are always changing things up. Um, I think you still have the lightest reel on the market. Is that the case? Maybe talk about your line. Like what were you using there on this trip for these, these, cause you have a rod rods in your lineup now too. talk about the gear you were using. Yeah. So we actually, uh, we're using some new stuff that's going to be coming out real soon here. We have a new line of liquid and remix reels that are going to be coming out, uh, just in a couple of weeks here, the liquid S and the remix S and then for rods, we're using our radius rod, which is one of our favorite rods. And then the new guru rod that we're going to be coming out with here shortly as well. Um, and that's going to be a little bit lower price point rod, kind of an entry level rod for, you know, beginners. And I think it's going to be right around that $250 uh, price point on that rod. And that rod was great for this trip, you know, with just, just a good trout fishing rod, pretty simple, um, not having to get too much distance on those canyons, etc. Mostly four weights, five weights. We're throwing scientific angler trout lines. And like Colin was saying, a lot of hoppers and uh, most people were, were using a dropper. I don't think I put a dropper on the whole weekend. Um, but I mean, I would even really, I would even maybe bring a three weight um, next time if I was going to do it again, just to, just to make it a little funner, you know? But there was definitely some bigger fish getting caught. I mean, we had multiple fish on the trip over over sixteen for sure. Nice. So that was really yeah. cool. And, and then the bull trout too. But yeah, uh, yeah, mostly radius and guru rods with the liquid and, and remix reels um, worked out real well for us on that trip. And that's what we'll be given um, those radius rods, two radius rods and two reels on the giveaway package as well. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe talk a little bit on that giveaway just uh, so we don't miss that. So you're giving away two spots, which is amazing. Then also on the gear, is this so rod and, and reels, anything else? Uh, yeah. So we teamed up with a bunch of our favorite brands, um, teamed up with Colin over at Hughes Outfitters, but then also have Umqua Fly Fishing. We got Rep Your Water, who's contributing to the giveaway gear package, Bahio Sunglasses, Scientific Anglers, don't want to forget anybody here, but just a bunch of awesome gear that we're going to be giving away along with the trip for two. And, uh, yeah, I think the prize package is like over $12,000 value. Wow. Um, so really big one. That's we're huge. Really excited about this. That's one. huge. And I, yeah. I love it. You guys are giving away. Oh, whiskey Leatherworks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, was, yep, that was one. They're yeah. in there too. Uh, they, they sent along a mixologist kit for the oh, river trip, go. which, and they're going to be giving that away in the giveaway which was awesome. You know, I was making yeah. old fashions and <laughs> Manhattans on the, on the riverside. Nice. So I was pretty popular with the group. Gosh, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> that's what makes the trip. You know, that's the cool thing about these river trips for those people that, you know, haven't done them yet. I think that's it. You know, you get in this zone. It feels like, what does it take you guys to get into that river trip zone? Is it, is it like a day or two or, you know what I mean? When you're in it and you're like, okay, I could be here another six days. How long does it take you, Nick? And how about you, Colin? Didn't take me a whole lot of time. You, you know, <laughs> you, you get off the plane and you get on the raft and, and you're just in it. And, yeah. you know, I live in Idaho. I used to work for the Forest Service. I cut trails on the on the Frank Church um, back when I first moved out here. But even, you know, I'm still in awe 
of these places, you know, and I get to see a lot of places like this, but there really isn't anywhere just like the Frank church. You know, that's kind of how I describe the area is just the most pristine wilderness that you'll find in the U S or in the lower 48, I should yeah. say, you gotta, you gotta leave Alaska out of there. But, right. Yeah. Alaska's um, different. Yep. But it's just such a special place. Not, I mean, the middle fork is a super famous river, but not a ton of people know about the Frank church as much and, and really what that is. I mean, it's an area larger than Yellowstone and it's all wilderness. It's some of the lowest light pollution in the world. So, I mean, the stars at night are just, it's, it's really impressive. Wow. And Colin, how about you? How long does it take when you're doing these trips? I'm just guessing you're doing these things like all summer long. Do you take any breaks during the summer? Yeah. You know, I used to, I used to guide, 20 straight weeks. And, uh, you know, the last eight or nine seasons since I took the company over, uh, you know, less and less all the time, the, uh, back end small business bureaucratic side of things, uh, eats away at me, but, uh, you know, I still get out on six or seven. And so I still get out there and, you know, I, I would say, especially with, with all of that, you know, on, on my plate, usually the second I, I shove off, I, you know, nothing can touch you then you're, you're gone. Yeah. No cell phone out there. Right. Yeah. And I, I love, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you guys have all the safety stuff, the satellite, the e, what e perbs, whatever, right. In case something happens, but you, when you're out there, like that's it, the cell phone's gone, no messages. You're, you're just good to go. Yeah. We, we can, uh, we can always reach out, you know, to the office or, uh, you know, emergency services in case of an emergency. But other than that, you know, really the only thing that technology does for you out there is take pictures of fish. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was really one of the, one of the best parts about that trip was really being able to unplug, you know, no emails, no internet, no phone calls, no social media, no news, you know, just we're, we're in our world for six days and, and that's it. You know, it was like getting back to civilization. You kind of had to like, find out what had happened in the world. Yeah. <laughs> God, there was some crazy stuff that had happened. God. It yeah. was nice being able to unplug from that. It's nice when you're able to simplify your life down to a point mm-hmm. where your decisions are, am I going to fish the home water again? Or am I going to have a cocktail or am I going to go walk away this Creek? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. Exactly. That's great. Well, tell me that I want to talk a little bit about the history here, uh, Colin, because I think you have, it's an interesting one. I'm not sure if you guys are like at the 50 year, but I was reading some of it on it about the Hatch River expeditions and, and some of that. Talk about that. I believe it's a family, right? You, This is a whole family company. Talk about how it got started way back. Bring us way back and then talk about how you got involved in all this. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, so my folks uh, both grew up in Idaho. My mom grew up in Moscow. My dad grew up in a, a little town in South Idaho, uh, Hazleton, Eden. And they, they met going to University of Idaho. They were both uh, Greek up there. They met at a Greek event, classic vandals situation. And um, my dad played on the University of Idaho football team. And he only had kind of a partial scholarship. So to pay for the rest of his, his schooling, he found this job working in the Grand Canyon for, for Hatch River Expeditions. And he, he kind of, uh, when he went to work for Hatch in 67, it was just, I think it, it would have been one summer after the Hatches had taken Kennedy, the Kennedy family, oh, wow. um, down the Grand Canyon. And that got a bunch of publicity, obviously. And sure. really... You know, the industry that, that we're still working in today probably can kind of go back to that moment in time. That's when, you know, your average person in America went, I would like to do that. And it's really because the Kennedy family, you know, went on a Grand Canyon trip with Hatch. And so because of the explosion of, of the scene, you know, the, of people being interested in, in multi-day river trips for the first time really ever, my dad had a pretty big upper hand because he had been in a Boy Scout troop that was one of, one of the few Boy Scout troops in the country that had been doing multi-day river trips on the Middle Fork and the Main Salmon through his high school years. And, you know, I think they were pretty loose. <laughs> you know, there wasn't a lot of <laughs> equipment or knowledge out there. You know, dad said it was just, you know, 12 or 13 year olds and, uh, and a guy from their hometown that, uh, wow. you know, Jeez. just kind of took off down these rivers and, 
and figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) And so that, that experience really, really gave him and some of his friends that he grew up with upper hands and they all went down and and worked for hatch for dad worked there all the way through law school. And, uh, and really, you know, the, the biggest part of that backstory is, is, uh, my dad's boy scout leader was a guy from twin falls named Elwood Masoner. And, uh, he, he went on pretty quickly after all of this to be one of the biggest outfitters in Idaho history. And so, you know, that that's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's pretty funny. There was five or six kids out of that boy scout troop that were longtime outfitters in Idaho. And so, yeah, dad worked there for a while. He loved working for the hatches. He got to work all over. They were an enormous company, you know, Grand Canyon, Deso Gray, Dinosaur, you know, all of these different sections in Utah and, and, uh, Arizona. And, and then he got to work up in Idaho on, uh, the main salmon, the Selway and the middle. Fork. And, uh, after he graduated from law school, he went to work for another company because a, a good friend of his from hatch had become the manager there. He worked there for a while. That company was headquartered out of my hometown, Cambridge, and uh, eventually was able to start Hughes River Expeditions. And that's why we were headquartered out of Cambridge for 35 years. And uh, he actually, full circle, wound up buying a big portion of Elwood Masoner's business to start our business. Oh, wow. Yeah. There it is. And that was, and then when, when did you come along in the mix? You had, and you had some brothers and sisters too? Yeah. So mom and dad started in 76. And my two older sisters have never had a ton to do with the business side. Um, my oldest sister, you know, kind of swamped a trip or two here and never really worked full time for the family business. My middle sister guided through college and she'll still, uh, you know, occasionally guide a trip or two for me, which is really fun. And then I started, uh, taking the company over in 2014 and I've been working since 2005. Um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of just did the full-time guide thing for a handful of seasons. And then I took on the operations manager role and marketing and stuff. Um, and then, uh, now my wife and I, uh, run the whole thing. Yeah, you do. And, and how, and so how long has the, the, the family business been going? Is it like getting on 50 years? Yeah. Next year will be our 48th year. That's right. Yeah. You're pretty close. And are there out in that area, if somebody wanted to put together a trip, is it just as easy? Well, it's probably easier to go with somebody like yourself, but are there a lot of people doing uh, like DIY trips or is it mostly guided operations like you guys do? Um, you, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of 50, 50. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, what we call private trips. Um, folks that put their names into the lottery system, you know, it, it's a pretty brutal lottery system. Honestly, I think it's kind of all you can do, right? It, it, a lot of people want to go and there's limited slots. So all you can kind of do is put your name in, in the hat. But no, you know, a lot of people either don't have interest in trying to invest in all the equipment and, you know, w- work. It's a lot of work if you run your private trip. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of work. And, not not everybody has the expertise to to no. row these kind of rivers. Yeah, either. yeah, totally. And and a new phenomenon is that we're seeing is a, a lot of people my parents' age that were guides in the seventies or eighties and did a lot of private boating the last thirty years are getting to the point where they don't want to do the work anymore. They still want to do the trip, but they don't want to do it privately. Right. And so we're getting a lot of them coming as as paying guests now. Sure, that makes total sense. No, it sounds like an awesome an awesome uh, service you guys have there. Um, so, so you mentioned equipment. I don't want to miss that because I'm kind of an equipment nerd. I think I know Dick, you probably are too, but what is the, what is the, well, let's start with this. The, the question first for both, for Nick, let's start with you. What's your, you're on this trip. What's your luxury item you're bringing on that trip? Or is this one of those trips where you can bring as much as you want? Or is there a limit to the bags you could bring? I mean, we, they're really accommodating as far as how much gear you can bring. And since you don't have to bring a tent, you don't have to bring a sleeping bag, you know, everything is provided. That's something I didn't really mention was how smooth this whole system operates with these outfitters. Like you pull up to your camp, your tents are are up, your sleeping bags are in there. You know, the guys are working on cooking dinner. There's, you know, little appetizers or snacks. (laughs) So you're not, you're not bringing a whole lot uh, for yourself other than your fishing gear, you know, camera, obviously, but they do really well with giving you a list of what kind of gear you're going to be needing on the trip. But, um, I mean, I brought my own chair just because I'm a big dude. Sure. And so 
I have a bigger camp chair. That's right. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, uh, I had no issue with with gear. I think I had room for for everything I needed. Yep. Luxuries, I guess the camera would be my biggest luxury on the trip. You know, taking a lot of photos. But other than that, I mean, fishing gear and some beverages, and I'm I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Uh, no, it's great. So it's all covered. And Colin, are you, when you're doing these trips, what, what are your, do you have some luxury items you guys are bringing? It sounds like you got these big boats so you can kind of bring everything. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. You know, it's, it's really a pretty nice way to go through the wilderness. It, those boats absorb a lot of, a lot of equipment. You know, we, we kind of say it's an all-inclusive trip. You know, you just have to bring your clothes. We will handle the rest. And, uh, you know, a luxury, a luxury item for me is, uh, <sighs> you know, probably realistically just uh, a six pack of some good beer. All right. You know? <laughs> yeah. You don't want to run out of that. That's the thing. How do you, how do you avoid running out of the beverages on these trips? You know, it's crazy. We, we've kind of got a mathematical system that <laughs> seems to, uh, seems to hit it on the head pretty good, but we do provide the beer. Um, we provide the wine. You know, the, the thing we always tell people is, you know, we, we provide a very wide variety, so there's not going to be a ton of any particular thing, but there's going to be a lot of different kinds of things. So that's kind of where I, you know, I say, hey, you know, bring a bring a six pack of your favorite beer if, if you want, or you know, a bottle of uh, a bottle of some good whiskey for after you have a fifty fish day. Yeah, God, that's so great. And it seems like a lot of these trips, I always find we're doing some of these hosted trips, and I always find that people that want to go fishing typically aren't the people like, you know, pounding tons of uh, going overboard because they want to make sure they're up for fishing the next morning. I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of the way this works a little bit too. Yeah, no, for sure. People have a blast. You know, I think that's one thing I hear a lot is people are concerned. Oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be with a party animal group or the opposite. I, I'm scared I'm going to be the party animal. And, and man, it, it always just seems to mesh so well. You know, for one thing, the, the natural clock sets out there, you know, people, people struggle up past 10 30 because it's been dark for an hour and uh you know it's kind of one of those things where you can't turn the lights back on and, and people just they have a ton of fun and you know I, you rarely see anything but just just people mesh and have a blast and wish that it would have lasted longer yeah perfect the the hot springs you mentioned you know uh hot springs and the cold springs out there but i remember a couple of those hot springs one of them where we were sitting up on a ledge over the river in a hot springs and it was just this memory you know i, I can't ever forget that what what are the hot springs like are are these kind of mixed out everywhere do there certain camps you you try to get to to get these hot springs and how does that work on camping do you reserve camps or how do you do that yeah there's a huge variety in hot springs i mean that one that you're talking about is called the the sunflower shower and uh, man, that's a really cool one. That that's about mile thirty-two, and uh, we really always try to stop there. It's it's so cool. You know, the top the top of the cliff has three or four big pools. The bottom of the cliff has kind of a natural waterfall, so people can stand under it, and it, it's great. You know, feet in the cold water with hot springs flowing all over you. But um, yeah, we we go by quite a few. You know, and depending on whether we do the seventy-five miles or the hundred miles. You know, either way, you go by a lot of hot springs, but um, we always, you know, try to prioritize, you know, two or three, uh, make sure that we at least, you know, hit a couple every trip. And then that also kind of goes back to, you know, there's just so many things to do. We talk to the guests and if they're more interested in the Native American history than they are hot springs, man, there's a lot of Native Americans as well. So we, we can stop at heritage sites. Um, you know, we can stop at hot springs. It's really kind of, uh, you know, what the group is most interested in. Cause you got to choose between things. There's just so many cool things to see. Yeah. Wow. And I th- thought I saw a photo out there of, uh, do you guys do like a cast and blast too during the parts of the season? Yeah, we do, uh, occasionally do cast and blast. Um, it's kind of year to year. I don't know if they're going to do one in 2024, but man, they're, they're super fun. And this year's trip was just a blast. The group, the group was total hiking fanatics which is kind of what you gotta be to, to chase chucker around oh chucker right yeah, and uh but yeah no they did really well because don't you drop don't you kind of like drop them off in one spot and then the guides will float down and meet up with them and they kind of hike hike down to the next spot while they're shooting birds exactly yep you know there's there's certain spots where we really like the habitat up a drainage and and you know you go okay let's 
we'll sit here and wait for you and you'll go up and back. But a lot of the time, it's just dropping somebody off and saying, hey, we're going to meet back up with you in the next major drainage. It's about three miles. Um, and they show up and, and they've got a, a couple of chucker and a couple of grouse and nice. hop in the boat and go back to fishing. Wow. <laughs> so so yeah. cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And then, you know, we, we have all the food for the trip. So the birds are, uh, are, are kind of a, an additional appetizer. We, you know, try to cook them up a few different ways to just kind of try them out through the week. And it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. This sounds like an amazing, that, that would be a fun trip as well. And I'm sure you probably have some, uh, some uh, big game out there too. Are you seeing any, what, what other than like deer and things like that? Are there other animals that you're probably seeing some bears, things like that? Yeah, bears on occasion. Um, we see a lot of uh, Rocky Mountain bighorn. There's a ton of sheep out there. Um, in the early spring, I've seen goats. Um, I've seen elk. Um, you know, midsummer, those guys are all pretty much other than the deer and the the bighorns. They they take they take to higher ground. They don't like the heat. But uh, you know, during the spring and the fall, you've got a, a pretty good chance at seeing you know animals moving to and from summer and winter ground. Yeah, we saw sheep, we saw black bear, otters in the river. Yeah, God, the otters are sure fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those things are awesome. Wow. So so this, I guess in, as we kind of start to think about wrapping this up, I, I, I want to, you know, not miss anything here. So do you, either you guys want to uh, shed light on anything that I, we haven't covered here about the trip? Um, and maybe a couple of, maybe a tip or two for those that are thinking about doing it. I think we'll send them out to the giveaway page. That's one thing we'll have a link in the show notes. They could check in with you, Colin, if they want to get a trip as well. And then, um, and then if they want to DIY, they, they could look into that. But w- what would you guys say, maybe Colin, start with you. Did, what would you tell somebody that's thinking about doing this? What's your advice? Yeah. You know, um, I would say don't worry so much about amenities. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things that I hear people concerned about. And, uh, you know, this is a, a real glamping adventure, but simultaneously you get to experience the true wildness that is left in the lower 48. And the other thing is, you know, regardless of the size of your party, we do everything from booking a single person to taking an entire group that charters the entire trip. And so, you know, really don't worry about any of that stuff. Just give us a call. We've, we've got tons of options depending on your interests. We run about 35 multi-day trips a summer and, you know, I guarantee we've got something that, that you'll like. Um, and the middle fork is sure hard to beat. Nice. And, and is also the salmon. So you mentioned a couple of the rivers, the, the main stem salmon. Is that something you guys are doing equally throughout the year? And talk about that maybe just uh, quickly, the difference between the main salmon and the middle fork. It's obviously a bigger river, but, you know, a similar experience. Yeah, yeah. No, very similar experience. They both run right through the heart of uh, the central Idaho wilderness area. The, the main salmon actually also touches into the gospel hump wilderness and is right on the border of the Selway Bitterroot wilderness. But they're, they're both incredible trips. You know, the history on the main might be unparalleled by any river in the West. It's absolutely unbelievable. Um, going back to the Captain Gulicky days, you know, that was where timber came to, to mill, you know, from salmon to Riggins, which is the namesake for, for River of No Return he would actually sell all the timber in his boat and then dismantle his boat and sell that as timber and then <laughs> catch the train back to salmon. <laughs> Jeez. And uh, so the boats never returned. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It, it's a great trip. Uh, the middle fork is kind of the headwaters. Uh, it's skinny. Uh, it's gradient, not a lot of pool and drop, you know, a lot of boulder dodgy style of whitewater. Uh, the main salmon is kind of more what like families think about when they think of whitewater, kind of big hydraulic waves you know, warmer water for kids to swim in. Uh, the fishing isn't quite as good. You know, it's mostly going to be walking wade fishing up, up tributaries, but it's just, it's an amazing trip. And, uh, you know, I always say about all the rivers we run, I, I only, I only operate on rivers I'm passionate about. And if you love one, you'll, you'll love them all. I guarantee that. Nice. And, and the Selway is another one that's talked about frequently. And that, how does that, how does the Selway fit into this? Um, it's a tributary to the salmon. I'm not quite sure on that one. Yeah, it's a tributary to the Clearwater. Oh, the Clearwater. Uh, yep, and uh, it's uh, it actually was one of the the crown jewels, uh, along with the Middle Fork, one of the first eight um, wild and scenic rivers designated. And uh, it, it's an amazing stretch, and and um, you know it's maybe just even kind of right on par with with the Middle Fork as far as you know how 
how much solitude you can find out there, but then even kind of a click more because the way that it's managed, there's only one launch a day total. And so you really don't see anybody out there, but it's also, it's a lot bigger whitewater river and it's access and stuff's, you know, tricky. Uh, the, the running season is really a lot shorter, but man, it's an amazing stretch as well. I'm, I'm really passionate about it. I, I love it. And, uh, you know, the other cool thing about it is it, it runs through, you know, through the, the largest inland rainforest in the lower 48. <laughs> Pretty neat. You know, it's, it's, uh, you're just one drainage over from the main salmon and, and the forest is ferns and cedars. Ferns and cedars. And is, I'm always a struggle a little bit on the geography and all that stuff, but is, are there steelhead and Nick, you can talk about this cause I want to hear about your steelhead experience too on this other trip, but you had, um, are there steelhead getting up into this area or is, are there uh, barriers? Yeah. So the, uh, the Selway and the Middle Fork both have native steelhead and Chinook salmon making it back in there. But because uh, they're so much higher above any uh, hatchery system, there really aren't any, any fish in there other than the, the wild fish. And so yeah, one, one thing moving forward with, I mean, it's a whole nother topic. It's a huge issue, but it is a, it's an amazing couple of chunks of preserved uh, genetics. Uh, and uh, it, they're really, it really is pretty special. And, and we see, you know, we see on occasion pods of Chinooks uh, in the pools on the Selway. And it's really, really pretty cool. But, you know, the main salmon would have a handful of hatchery fish. I just caught a, a couple of steelhead down on the main salmon a week ago. And uh, yeah, it's fun. They're, they're, all, they're all amazing trips. And, uh, just getting into the wilderness is good for the soul. Yeah. Yeah. And Nick, where, where was that fish you, you, you hooked a steelhead recently? Where, where was that at? I was fishing on the main salmon, um, up by Riggins. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of where I go. It's, I'll go to the Clearwater too. Clearwater is about a five hour drive for me, but Riggins is only about three and it's just one of my favorite places on the planet. Yeah. The canyon there is just awesome. And we've had a pretty good return this year. I mean, I've been, been batting pretty good the last two trips i went up there so nice there you go <laughs> and it was nice after about a five-year slump right me, but. <laughs> right yeah and at riggins it floats through riggins and then heads eventually heads down into the snake down north of riggins right somewhere in there or the sam river dumps into the snake is that is that how that works yeah yep that's right yeah it's a it's probably another 90 miles from riggins it dumps into the snake Right on. Well, I think that, uh, and, and Nick, maybe just tell us dude, from your perspective, if you're going to, if somebody was thinking about doing this trip, what would be your word of advice to them or any tips you'd give somebody thinking about this? You know, just, just go for the experience, you know, be open to it. Like Colin said, people might have hesitations going into it, but you know, there couldn't have been a more positive vibe to the whole trip with, with all the guests and the guides and our group, you know, everybody's just happy to be there and, and really soak it in. Uh, because it is such a unique experience and and yeah have fun that's what i do <laughs> um and the giveaway we're going to be launching that on november 7th tuesday it's going to run through the 17th so signups will be open for uh 10 days really easy to enter you don't need to do a whole lot as long as you have an email and a social media account you'll be able to enter the the giveaway even if you don't have a social media account you can still enter the giveaway uh through the link and uh yeah we're excited perfect so november 7 and by the time uh, when this is going live this will be out people can just go right now into the show notes and just click the link we'll have a link there they can enter and then like you said so november 7th and you said 10 days so um you know by the next week that'll close up so this will be good and we'll also put a link for you call them just so people can check out hughes river outfitters as well let's take it out here nick i'm going to do the fly shop friday i think i might have i think you might have are you guys still doing the fly shop friday uh on your oh, yeah. And, yeah yeah i've been doing that for years on the social media yeah. yeah i love it i think i first saw that from you guys and i've been kind of stealing that from you occasionally but um uh, give, give us a, let's do a fly shop Friday shout out today from each of you maybe and talk, maybe Nick first, you want to give a, a shout out to a fly shop local. Well, to say. the, to the guys that came along on this trip with me actually were a couple of the guides, um, from three rivers ranch here in, well, just outside of Boise in Eagle, Idaho. Um, it's an outfitter that's originally based in, in East Idaho out on the Henry's fork. And oh yeah. Warm yeah river. Right. Oh yeah. So I'll give them a shout out. 
Big shout out Three Rivers Ranch. Uh, we have so many good shops here in Boise, Anglers and Idaho Angler, and, but also Hughes Outfitters. I mean, that that's the one I'm going to shout out too. Right. Uh, just had a great time with Colin's crew on this trip. Me and Colin go back a ways. Uh, we met Steelhead Fishing, you know, here in Idaho years ago. But just wanted to say thanks again, Colin, to you and, and to your whole crew for uh, working with us on this and um, helping us put this together. It's just been really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really appreciate it, man. It's so cool that this all came together and it's been really fun. We met on the banks of the Clearwater some years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. God, this is amazing. So you guys finally did this amazing trip. So one thing I'm going to leave it off with, I always like to go into the podcast and song a little uh, a question <laughs> Q&A here. But so let's, Nick, I'm going to leave you with the song and, uh, and Colin, I'm going to ask you about podcasts, but Let's start with the song. So, Nick, on that trip we did up to Alaska, you had this playlist, which I still have on my phone. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but talk about that. You're on a road trip going into the middle fork, getting ready for it. What, what song are you playing there? What can we put in the show notes here to listen? Man, on, on this one, I was listening to a lot of uh, Josh Ritter. He's got a song called Idaho. And I got to say, it kind of fit this trip just perfect. I love that song. It's, it's yeah, that's a good one. That, that's what I'll go with. All right. Well, and, and then, uh, Colin, are you more a podcast listener or music? What, what do you have going there? You know, I'm, I'm a, I kind of do both. I definitely listen to more music than I do podcasts, but uh, his Josh Ritter comment uh, segues into a, a good plug for a podcast that I listen to. And so I'm, I'm a pretty huge uh, University of Idaho vandal, you know, nut job. Uh, I follow the athletics a lot. I've got season tickets to the football program up there. Josh Ritter was born and raised in Moscow, Idaho, by the way. And yeah, so I, uh, you know, I listen to uh, a podcast called Tubs at the Club. It's some cool guys that uh, just kind of keep up on everything University of Idaho. That's a pretty routine one. Other than that, you'll kind of find me listening to Grateful Dead, Dave Matthews. There you um, go. Billy Strings. <laughs> Perfect. All right. We got another podcast, a couple more songs. So we'll throw some of this in the show notes and we'll send everybody out today to um, a couple of places, HughesRiver.com, uh, LampsAndFlyFishing.com, and, and also we'll have a link to the giveaway, WetFlySwing.com slash giveaway. We'll get that all, make it real easy for people. And I just want to say, guys, uh, appreciate you uh, for coming in today and giving us a little rundown on the Middle Fork. It's it's been so long for me. I'm, I'm not. I, I will never forget the experience. So hopefully, I'll be able to get back out there. But appreciate you guys for uh, giving us the insight. Yeah, thanks so much for having us on. And Nick, thanks so much for doing all this with us. Appreciate both of you. Thank you, Dave. Thanks. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.